What's up? It's Delaney, and I'd love to invite you to become an honorary co-host of the Self-Helpless Podcast. Do you want to pick episode topics and guests? Done. Want to surprise your loved ones with shout-outs on the show for a birthday, project launch, a much-needed divorce? Whatever you're up to, would love to be a part of the celebration. Get your favorite and least favorite quotes featured on the podcast, submit questions for our special guests, and find lots more new features and surprises at patreon.com slash selfhelpless. You'll also get added to our patron insider email list to easily redeem rewards via a quick email reply because we know hanging out on Patreon isn't everyone's thing. You can also opt out of emails if you prefer to be a silent supporter of the show. And don't worry, we do not Scrooge McDuck these contributions. 100% of proceeds go directly to operating expenses that make this weekly podcast possible and available to all. Learn more at patreon.com selfhelpless or simply click the link in this episode's description. Thank you for helping me fill the void of being the last standing host of the Self Helpless Podcast. Thank you so much. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Can you help? Can you help me? Can you help? Can you help? Can you help me? Can you help? Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Self-Helpless Podcast. I'm Delaney Fisher. And I'm Kelsey Cook. And today we have such a phenomenal guest. Um, this was one of my favorite episodes. Kelsey and I have just been gushing uh, about yeah. Dr. Sahar Martinez, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist and doctor of psychology. And Dr. Sahar is a culturally centered anti-racist therapist who's dedicated to providing a safe place for healing um, and guiding individuals and couples as they navigate through transitional phases and family of origin dynamics and generational trauma uh, and issues related to gender, race, culture. Dr. Sahar is also an adjunct faculty at Chapman University. AAMFT approved clinical supervisor and the founder of the Process Wellness Collective. And today we talked about generational trauma and holy shit, it really blew our mind. It, uh, you guys, I mean, as you're listening to this episode, I think you'll understand why Delaney and I, it was like an instant favorite for us because she just, it was like a weird cosmic thing that she came on the (laughs) podcast when she did. She talked about so much of the specific things that Delaney and I are both experiencing in our lives. We talked about internal family systems, which is something that has been brought to my attention recently as I've been going through, you know, the stuff with my mom. And uh, I just cannot thank her enough for coming on the show. What, what a great interview with her. I just loved it. Yeah. And the scientific stuff behind generational trauma that I never even thought about or knew about, you know, you just think, okay, it definitely affects your emotions. It affects anxiety. But the fact that you could be affected in the womb, you know, like what? Anyway, you guys yeah. are going to love this fucking episode. Seriously, do not 
miss this episode listen through to the whole thing <laughs> it's so good guys um this is coming out on march 20th which means that i am going to be at acme comedy company in minneapolis this week uh wednesday through saturday i could not be more excited it was one of my favorite tour stops last year and it's just oh, nice. such a such a fantastic club and um then after that in april i'm in san francisco rosemont Chicago and Denver. Um, after that, Uncasville, Salt Lake City, Burbank, Phoenix, Dania Beach. So many uh, tour dates coming up. And uh, my special is also out now. So oh. I know we will have talked about it probably in the previous episode or two as well. But um, I hope that you guys are loving it. Please go watch on YouTube. Uh, it's called The Hustler. And I, uh, I'm just so excited. So please, please go watch. And yeah, uh, go to KelseyCook.com Kelsey and get your tour date tickets and uh, check out my special. Amazing. And if you are a mental health professional, would love to have you over at the Minimalist Business Podcast at DelaneyFisher.com. I have a lot of complimentary resources over there for mental health professionals, whether you're just starting to get your first clients or you've been in business for decades. And we just talk about how to grow your business and your revenue while also getting your time back. I know that you're burnt out, you're overworked, you got lots of clients, and you're allowed to make money too and be happy and take care of yourself. So that's what we talk about over there. Uh, branding, marketing, uh, opportunities for visibility for your brand and business and all that good stuff. So uh, DelaneyFisher.com, it is a completely private podcast, but it is free. So you're not going to be able to find it on your iTunes app or all the apps, but um, you know you can just sign up and get it delivered right to your inbox. Amazing. Okay. Let's not take up another second of your time before this interview. <laughs> I can't wait to get into it. Here is our amazing interview with Sahar. Sahar, thank you so much for being here today. We have never talked about this topic and we are really freaking excited. Me too. Thanks for having me. Yes. <laughs> do you have a favorite or least favorite quote? I do. I have a favorite quote. Um, it's from Audre Lorde and it's your silence will not protect you. <sighs> oh my gosh. <laughs> coming in hot. <laughs> you are coming in hot. A very but hot Relevant quote. to what we're talking about today. So I felt like, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. that one really like kicks you in the dick. It really is like sure. you need to like, you know what I mean? Because I, I tend yes. to, I'm such like, a, I can be avoidant in terms of conflict and I can be very yeah. people pleasing and stuff like that. And I think sure. sometimes we think that that's the better way to go. And it's, it's not always. Yes. I can't believe in over five years of doing the podcast. I've never heard that quote before. Oh, you really? Know? Yeah. So good. All right. So good. <laughs> Um, well, should we dive right in here? Let's just get into it. Just, you know, just a nice little light topic of generational trauma. No big deal. Um, Sahar, so, so, can you just share what is generational trauma and what is the first thing that you have people do when you start unpacking this with someone? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think this idea of generational trauma, like it feels both very close and very far from people. And really what it is, is difficult things that have happened within your family unit. Like that's the simplest way that I can describe it. And sometimes those difficult things are really like big capital T trauma things. And sometimes they're things as simple as moving, oh, you know, sure. or an unhealthy relationship, an unhealthy marriage, which like, if we look back a couple generations, like most people had unhealthy marriages that were not even and balanced. 
And so when we think about generational trauma, we also have to think about things that are traumatic for one person are not traumatic for everybody. And so trauma looks different for every single person. That also applies to generational trauma. Uh, when I start working with my clients, like in unpacking things like generational trauma, we start talking about the things that have been challenging for them presently in their life now. And then we work backwards and just say, okay, so are these, are there patterns in your family unit where this has happened? And oftentimes the answer is yes. Wow. Yeah. I've never heard of an approach to therapy like that. I think it's, we all, especially if somebody has been in therapy before, assume that discussion about your family is going to come into the picture at some point. And I know there's mm-hmm. a stereotype of like, well, tell me what happened in childhood, right? And how yeah. much that impacts <laughs> your life. But to really um, look at it like, let's start here and then go backward is, I, I would imagine that does really impact so many parts of somebody's life. Yeah. You know, I, I look at my work as a clinician, like from a lot of different lenses, but really what it is primarily is like my own experience as a human. Mm-hmm. And so in my own lived experience, like my parents are immigrants, like there's trauma right there. Like they immigrated to the U S they didn't know the language they came here and they like built a whole life here. And so I can't look at the context of my life without also acknowledging what they've been through and how that impacted me and continues to impact me. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Could you share like a specific example of, you know, when you've asked a client, you know, what's going on with you now? And then when you do trace it back, did maybe they were surprised that it was connected? Yeah. So I work with a lot of uh, parents and couples or duos. And a lot of times I work with people as they've like recently had children. And so I'll work with like a mom who's come in and she's like, oh, I'm so anxious and I don't know what's going on. I don't know why I feel so anxious. I'm afraid to leave the house, you know, whatever. And we'll talk about you know, where that anxiety kind of exists for them, where it lives in their body, how they experience it, how they engage with it. And then we talk about like, okay, what happens? What happened in a time before this? You know, can you remember when you weren't anxious? And can you remember a time when people around you maybe were anxious? And a lot of times that's like, yeah, well, like my mom was super anxious or my parents had a really tumultuous relationship or like my parents both worked and I would come home by myself. And that would make me feel really scared when I was home alone for a couple hours after school. And so we start to kind of tap into what, what is the origin story of this? And does the origin story exist beyond you? And so a lot of times, like when I work with parents who have anxiety around having their own babies, that is like stuff that's from before them that they're bringing on, you know, like when we look at, when we look at just like the science of trauma and we look at women in relationship to the science of trauma like there is so much stuff there that connects into this intergenerational like trauma changing you, you know, like when my mom was pregnant with me, I already had all my eggs in my body, right? Like in utero. And so, and when her mom was pregnant with her, same thing. So whatever trauma my grandmother like experienced impacted my mom and me directly. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Can you explain the, the, the eggs stuff that you just talked about. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I just want to understand yeah. that a little bit more. Yeah. So there is a ton of research around like how you biologically change when you have a traumatic experience. Okay. And so it changes the way your brain works. It changes the way your body responds. So this is when we talk about like somatic uh, trauma responses. So I find something, I have like a trauma trigger 
and all of a sudden my body starts to sweat or I feel cold, like that's a trauma response, right? And so my body has now adapted to know that when I feel threatened or in danger, I react in this way. Okay. It's a biological change that happens. So like, let's like my, let's do, we can use my grandmother as an example. Let's say my grandmother like experienced something traumatic. My grandmother got divorced. This is like a real story. My grandmother got divorced when she was pregnant with my mom. And this is like in the fifties. And so that's like, that didn't happen. It was a huge deal. Lots of emotional trauma there, you know, and it happened while she was pregnant with my mom and my mom was already a developed baby in utero. So she already had all her eggs. Like we are born with all of our eggs. Right. Okay. And so that biological change happened for my grandmother, also happened for the baby in her womb, and then also happened to the eggs in my mom. Wow. Which were then me and my sister. (laughs) It just blew my fucking mind. I've (laughs) never heard it explained that way. Like, I was just, you know, I was thinking more like, okay, definitely affects emotion and mental health and family environment, but the scientific um, evidence behind generational trauma is something I was not expecting to learn about today sure so all of that like that happens but then we also have things like neuroplasticity whereas like where the healing part comes in where just because you have this lineage of trauma doesn't mean that you can't also subsequently or like parallel have a lineage of healing too okay Mm. wow (laughs) i've never ever heard that or thought of it that way so i mean like i would imagine that puts so much pressure on women during their pregnancy because it's like I mean I know you're saying that there's that neuroplasticity where it's like you can heal of course but it has to be hard to feel like okay I got to make the perfect baby and if I have trauma during pregnancy they're going to feel it too it's yeah so here this is the thing I tell all my clients you're going to fuck it up yeah like (laughs) we're all going to fuck it up yeah my kids will definitely be in therapy like my mom's a crazy therapist you know (laughs) whatever yeah it's about like, how do we create like as healthy of a environment as we can so that when we inevitably fuck it up, there's a soft place to land for all of us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're kind of talking about the parent child relationship. Let's say that, you know, some parents are tuning in right now and they want to become more aware of when they're generational trauma is maybe affecting their present decisions with their kids. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm-mm-mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. How can like we all be mindful about, um, yeah, what's maybe impacting those things and not wanting to pass that on to your kid if it hasn't been super helpful for them to carry around their whole life? How sure. Do you do so- that? 
I utilize a modality in the work that I do called internal family systems, IFS. And what that is, is essentially parts work. So a lot of it is like inner child work, but also identifying like when something, when you have an emotional reaction to something, what part of you is being activated? And a lot of times, like in that parent-child relationship, when our kids are activating for us, it's like the inner child in us being like, hey, no, that's not fair. Like, I don't like that you just did that. And now I'm going to lash out at you. So a lot of it is getting into that space of being intuitive and connecting with like your own inner dialogue, right? So like, I am someone who is like loud noises. I don't like them. Like it's, I get sensory overload. It's super triggering for me. I don't like it. And I have a seven-year-old and a five-year-old who live to be noisy, <laughs> but, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I like in times when I'm engaging with them, playing with them, you know, a Saturday morning after a rough night of sleep, like I have learned how to communicate to them that maybe mama needs a boundary. So maybe I'm going to drink my coffee outside while you guys like are a disaster inside. <laughs> Um, yeah. But also like you're allowed to be loud, even though it's, I don't like it and that's okay. Uh, yeah. I feel like you don't hear about that sort of a boundary often in parenting. It's either like somebody's reprimanded for doing the thing that the parent doesn't want them to do or the parent suffers. Sure. It doesn't seem like there is an and situation where it's like, you can be this way and I cannot like it and we can yeah. coexist mm-hmm. and yeah which is funny right like that's real life like we all coexist totally and like like I love my husband he does so much shit that's annoying to me (laughs) like so like you know what I mean and I love him I sometimes I love him for it sometimes I love him in spite of it and vice versa like I do I leave shit everywhere and I know that that's super annoying for him and like we coexist right my kids are kids like they are they're kids they leave messes, they are loud, they talk a lot, they want a lot of attention. And sometimes I am at capacity and I don't have a lot to give. Yeah. Doesn't mean that they're wrong for wanting what they want. And doesn't mean that I'm wrong either, but there's a way that we can have a conversation about that. Now, does it always successful? Absolutely not. Like, you know, but we can, we move to set the boundary and really like that's where the generational healing part comes in is that when I set the boundary, I'm also then giving them permission to set a boundary too. Yeah. And to be their authentic self, yeah. you know, and then be like, okay with that. Like there's nothing sure. wrong with them. Wow. I love, uh, that's such a great practical tip. We love hot tips on this show. <laughs> practical yes. action steps. Love it. Um, yes. I feel like I've heard this echoed a lot um, as far as generational trauma, where um, maybe somebody's experience with their parents is one way, but then they have kids and then they see their parent grandparent their grandchildren in a much softer way and there can be this weird resentment but also grateful gratitude that they're kind to them how does somebody figure that navigate that with all of those really complicated emotions yeah first is like the radical acceptance that both of those things can exist you know a, a great grandparent doesn't mean that you're a great parent and vice versa like a great parent doesn't make you a great grandparent either Um, but it's also in acknowledging that feeling of resentment, there is a part of you that really wanted to be seen in that way and really wanted to be heard in that way and understood in that way and acknowledged in that way. And now you're watching someone happen to someone else, regardless of whether or not it's your kid, right? You can have gratitude that your mom, your dad, your parent, whoever can have that relationship with your child 
And there can be a, an, a six-year-old version of you on the inside that's like, that's not fucking fair. Like, mm-hmm. that's all I wanted. All I wanted was for my mom or dad to sit in color with me and they wouldn't. And I'm watching it happen with my kid and that's not fair. That's also true. So it's in the acknowledgement and in the holding of that space. And even in asking that part, like, what is it that you need now? You know, I have clients do things where in the moment they're like, this is so fucking stupid. You know what I mean? Like the, for this example, I'll be like, they'll say that. Like I was watching my mom or dad color with my kid and I was angry. Like I was so mad. Yeah. And I was like, cool. Do you want to color now? Like, let's color. And they're like, that's so dumb. And I'm like, well, let's just do it anyway. And like, see what happens. Yeah. And we'll do it. And there is like an emotional response that happens. You know, like there is that six-year-old version of you that is then seen. Maybe this is a practice that you bring into your own work and you spend time coloring every day, you know, where it's like, or you color with your kids or whatever it is. But just because this part is activated doesn't mean that we have to ignore it or like shush it or make it quiet or make it small. Like that six-year-old part can come forward and we can engage with it. We can ask it like, is it okay that I color with you right now? Right. We can have this relationship with our, this is where the healing happens. This is when we have this relationship with ourselves and then it, that starts to extend into other spaces. Yeah. Super powerful stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think it's really easy to see our uh, child selves as a completely separate yeah. person and that the person we are now has nothing to do with who we are when we were six. And sometimes it takes just seeing I think at least for me, like a picture of myself when I was six yeah. and really picturing what has happened in my life to go from that to this and remind myself like whatever she went through, whatever trauma she went through, that happened to the adult me too. Yeah. Like it's, you know, healed or being worked on and all that, but um, they aren't, they aren't separate people. No. And I am who I am because of that six-year-old version. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So what about the the person who is like, yes, I want to color with you, but I also feel like I got to talk to my parent about how, how sad I am. Like, is that, have you seen, I'm sure those conversations can go a multitude of ways. Yeah. What are some, some, yeah, I don't know, like what's some guidance you can share with somebody who wants to have that difficult conversation? I think anytime we have a difficult conversation with somebody else, like we want to make sure that we're centering our own experience instead of saying you fucked up, you did this wrong you know, you, whatever, because immediately someone's defenses are going to go up and that's not what we want. Right. We want to just, we want to be heard. And so I think anytime we can center our own experience and say like, Hey mom, Hey dad, when I see you coloring with, you know, my kid, it makes me, you know, really, really happy to see that happen. But it also makes me really sad because that's all I ever wanted was to spend time with you in that way when I was a kid. And it sometimes it makes me feel angry that I didn't have that. Yeah. You know, and that's, look, we can have that conversation and it can still be met with resentment and defensiveness and all of that. So also know that like, am I going into this conversation because I want to get an apology or am I going into this conversation because I need this person to know that they hurt me? Right. The apology is never guaranteed. Like it's never guaranteed, but to be able to release something so that you don't have to hold it on your own anymore. Like you can do that for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's so important too. I know this is different, but in, um, in romantic relationships too, I, yeah. I feel like I've learned that a lot in the past year or so is just how important it is to communicate in the I terms and not the you terms Yeah, and how it really is that basic human instinct that if you go into a conversation 
with you, 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 it naturally makes people feel more, um, more like threatened or, or angry. And when you just start like, Hey, I felt this way, it kicks in that natural empathy, I think. Yeah. I, you know, I use this like analogy with my kids a lot, actually. Like when you start off a sentence with you, whatever, it's almost like the volume gets turned down after I hear the you. Yeah. I can't hear anything after that. So I want to know how this feels for you. Like, tell me what it's like for you. Yeah. Do you feel happy? Do you feel sad? Do you feel frustrated? Do you feel angry? You know, whatever it is, that's, you can feel however you want to feel, but I need to know how you feel in order to know how I can then meet you in that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Approaching things with being curious. Yeah. I think can help so much. Yeah. What is the relationship between generational trauma and cultural trauma? Like I'd imagine when a lot of layers are present, it can be very hard to sift through like, which kind of trauma am I actually feeling in this moment? Can you share anything about that? Yeah. Step two? I think the generational trauma exists within your family, right? The cultural trauma is wider than that. Mm-hmm. So when we look at like communities, ethnicities, or races that have had like trauma upon trauma bestowed upon them based on where they're from in the world, what they look like, what their religious beliefs are, whatever it is, that is like communal cultural trauma, right? Generational trauma, it exists within your family lineage. So like for me, it's like, I look at my life, I look at my parents and then their families of origin and how how those experiences impact me. If I look at it culturally, I can look at like, when my parents are from Iran, there's a fuck ton of stuff going on in Iran right now, but this is also no different than what's happened in Iran 50 years ago, you know, when the revolution happened. And so that's like the cultural trauma or like the, you know, the, I don't know if I would call it cult. It's like the community trauma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Totally makes sense. Yeah. This is going to go back to what you were talking about a few minutes ago with uh, internal family systems. Mm-hmm. Because I hadn't heard that term before until um, about a month ago. So I've seen a craniosacral therapist for a couple years and she's so wonderful. And uh, our listeners know that I've been experiencing something for the last couple years as well with my mom where my mom has dementia Mm -hmm. and it's been, um, it's, it's been really crushing for me and, in a more recent session, my craniosacral therapist said that she was feeling a lot of stuff happening kind of around my womb, like uterus stuff. And she's like, I, I would love if you can find somebody to talk to you about internal family systems because this feels wow. like there's something mm-hmm. like that there is this connection with your mom, almost like the umbilical cord emotionally is mm-hmm. not cut so that what she is experiencing, you are taking it on and you are feeling it almost as if you are um, able to feel everything that she's feeling. And wow. um, it's, I don't know that my mom went through anything traumatic in her actual pregnancy with me, mm-hmm. but I just have felt very close to my mom my whole life. And yeah. there's something she just everything she was saying really resonated with me. And I wondered if you're able to speak to that at all, knowing just even that kind of small snippet. Yeah. Um, so my personal opinion, like take it for what it's worth, is that yeah. all pregnancy and birth is trauma. 
Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I yeah, mean? Like yeah. you're birthing like a bowling ball out of your body one way or another <laughs> yeah, after yeah. carrying it for nine months. Yeah. Um, and it's, that's traumatic. Like there's physical trauma, there's emotional trauma, there's, you know, all, you know, yeah. all different kinds. I think what's really beautiful about IFS is that there are these inner parts of us that we sometimes don't even know are there right? They don't have to be like the six-year-old version of you or the 10-year-old version of you. It can be a part that is abstract. It can be you in utero. It can be, you know, you the moment after you were born or whatever that in the work, like you connect to and you're like, what the fuck did just happened? Like, yes. how is that the thing that came up? Um, yeah. You know, in, in my own work as a client in IFS, like there was an, uh, a place that I connected to that wasn't even a memory that I have, you know, but I was like, this experience happened. And it reminded me of like, what the image that came up for me was myself at three years old. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't remember anything from that time in my life, but like, that's where it connected into. And so I think that like, there is a really powerful bond between a mother and their child. Yeah. And that like, when you have a biological child that you carry within your own body, they're like your cells go into their cells right yeah and so we see this even in like women who use donor eggs like they're like epigenetics right like their cells go into like the in utero and so I think like when that idea comes of like do you feel the things that your mom feels like I believe in that yeah you know like yeah whether it's like emotional or physical or whatever it is like there is that connection there where for almost a year like you lived within her you know right yeah and the things that my craniosacral therapist was saying I I think a lot of it has to do with safety too where the thought of losing my mom to me is losing this level of safety that I have always had in my life as long as Mm -hmm. I've lived she has been alive and when you're in the womb um there is that feeling of safety and protection and she just, she's just been such an amazing mom my whole life. She has always been a source of emotional safety, physical safety for me. And so the thought of, um, ever not having her, I think is threatening that very, like the most core visceral part. Yeah. Where you're saying like it is before you were even making memories necessarily, like it's not a version of you that you can necessarily picture. But like the body remembers. Right. Yeah. That's crazy. The body remembers. (laughs) And what comes up for me is like, is the first time that you felt that removal of safety birth. Like, could that be like the first time that you felt that like, oh my gosh, I'm not contained in this like space of safety. What is when you were born? Yeah. We're not one anymore. We're now to the umbilical cord, you know, it, it yeah. has been cut. I am not physically attached to my mom <laughs> at right. 33. Yeah. Just, you know, my mom's never just like off screen. Sure. Her her like, podcast. She's a restaurant over here. But there's, you know, something that happens like when we have that kind of really close relationship with a parent and then, yeah. you know, we, we lose them either through illness or like, I mean, something like dementia is like an ongoing loss, you know? Yeah um that emotional umbilical cord is like slowly being cut yeah you know and that's really hard it's really really hard and so the fact that it connects you back into like that feeling of being born you know makes sense to me yeah it's a feeling I've never it hit something primal that has never ever been tapped into for me maybe since birth and it's 
crazy to 33 years later be feeling those things that you just are not I mean I've just never had any reason to think about that right until now and again I wasn't even aware of it until my um craniosacral therapist was like I'm getting a bunch of stuff about this part of your body and it tying to your emotions yeah so like for IFS like we would say can you sit with that part of your body yeah what is that body trying to tell you does it have a name does it have a shape a color right you know can you can you just sit with it does that part of your body give you consent to sit with it right now yeah yeah that's all I mean it's so great and kind of like fortuitous that we had you on the podcast because this is like exactly the type of conversation that she I think was hoping that I would find with somebody so um that's so helpful thank you yeah yeah CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you because at CarMax we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car you should love your car That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What, going off of, you know, everything Kelsey said, what kind of things um, do people do like in a therapeutic setting when they are trying to heal their own trauma or generational trauma, whatever it might be? I think the most common misconception about this piece of the work is that you need other people to opt in to your work and you can work on healing your like experience of generational trauma completely on your own, you know? And a lot of times, like I work with clients who are like, my grandmother has passed, my grandfather has passed, or like, my, I, I'm not in contact with my family anymore, or whatever. And I have all of these experiences that feel like they connect back into these people. And I have no way of accessing them. I mean, it's like, well, it's not entirely true. Because that those experiences also live within you, and you can access that within yourself. And so a lot of it is in um, seeing how those experiences are showing up for you. And like the body is often the first indicator of that, right? So it's like, where do you hold tension in your body? Can be like the the easiest kind of foray into it. Yeah. You know, can you relax your jaw? Can you like drop your shoulders? Yeah. Uh, a lot of times when I work with people who have not done like any work around generational trauma, things like yoga, like they don't touch it. They're like, I'm not a yoga person. And it's like, okay, tell me why. Why are you not a yoga person? It's too slow. I don't like to move it. I was like, okay, so what is it like for you to sit with your own body? Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and so it's about like the somatic experience, right? Because the body tells us, the body knows everything, right? And the body will find a way to make you pay attention if even if you don't want to. Mm, you know, yeah, so yeah. I have like a handful of clients that I've worked with over the last couple of years where they're like, oh, my doctor sent me to you because I've like, I've been having chronic headaches or chronic GI issues. 
and they don't know why. I run all the tests. I've done a million colonoscopies. Like, you know, I take the medications, like whatever, and it's not helping. And it's like, okay, so we know it. We've ruled out that it's a medical issue. So yeah. now let's sit with how you feel. And they're like, ah, no, don't want to do that. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yoga is a motherfucker because it oh, makes yeah. you slow down. <laughs> and like I'm from personal experience, like I don't like slow activities don't always appeal to me. I sure like sports and like, I don't know, more, I guess, dynamic things. But yeah. yoga does force you to like really be in your body. Yeah. And that's really, really hard. It's a big ask. It's a really big ask to say like, can you commit this time, whatever, 10 minutes a day, 10 minutes a week and just be in your body. doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a lot. Like it's a lot and it is overwhelming. And there is oftentimes like a need to just like disconnect after that and whatever. And so I've like worked with clients where it's like, like meditation is another big one. Like, I'm not a meditation person. And I'm like, yeah. oh, no, I get that. I'm also not a meditation person, but I still <laughs> meditate every day, you know? Yes. Um, right. But it's really yeah. hard to sit with yourself in that way. Yeah. Right. I was just going to say that, the meditation. We were yeah. just talking about that on the podcast, that it's like, we will all so easily find an excuse to not meditate. And it's crazy that it does only take, I mean, it can take like three minutes. There are so yeah. many videos that are like three minute meditation yep. exercises, but ooh. It gives you mm-hmm. gives you the shivers thinking about just being alone <laughs> with your thoughts silence, with your thoughts yeah, yeah. it's so, so important tough. yeah so tough yeah uh, one thing i have noticed a lot is that mindsets can be passed down from generation to generation to generation can you share any information about that about that whether it's like you know i've seen you know the mindset where it's like that's not a real job. This is a real job. And then, you yeah. know, this is carried down and passed down to kids, you know, all that. And then you, you don't think you have as many options that you actually have in life. Can you speak to that in any way? Yeah. I think that like, that is such a pervasive part of the, the generational lineage experience is yeah. like their kids by nature, like want to please their parents. And what we don't realize when we're kids is that when we are focused on pleasing our parents, we're also taking on their expectations, whether that is like the right school to go to, the right job to have, the right person to be with, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And that's really, really hard work to dismantle because we oftentimes don't even know that that's a problem until we sit down and we're like, why am I so unhappy? Like, why do I feel so unfulfilled? I did all of the things. Like I got the right job. I went to the right school. I got the right degrees. I partnered with the right person. Like I have the 2.5 kids and I'm still fucking miserable, (laughs) you know? And a lot of times like that's when I get people is like, I'm 45 and I hate my life and I shouldn't. Uh, And it's like, well, but why is it? I shouldn't. uh, Why can't I just be like, I hate my life. And then let's start there. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I gave me goosebumps. Yeah. Yeah. W- what kind of questions would you ask somebody like that to get clarity on mm-hmm. why they did what they did and how they can change things? My, one of my first questions is always like, what did you want to be when you were a kid? Mm. You know? And a lot of times the answer I get is like, oh, like when I was 10, like I wanted to be a doctor and now I'm a doctor. Okay, great. What did you want to be when you were five? Yeah. Like a ballerina and a basketball player, an astronaut, like, you know, whatever. Okay. So what would have happened if you had done that thing? Why was that interesting to you? And we sit there for a little while, you know, I like, I've shared this story before with people. 
when I was seven, we had to do like this diorama project at school. And I was like, make a diorama of what you want to be when you grow up. And I made a therapist's office. Like, that's what I wanted to be. Oh. I like sculpted a little chair out of clay and like, you know, whatever. Oh, um, <laughs> And then I became, you know, I became older and I come from a family where like, or just a culture where like therapy is not a thing. Like you don't, you only go to therapy if you're getting divorced or you have like real problems, whatever that is. Right. Um, and so I diverted and I like worked in a different field for a decade. And I had, I had to ask myself these same questions. And I was like, I'm fucking unhappy and I feel lost and I don't know what I want to do, but I don't want to do this. Like, I don't like what I'm doing now. It's fun, but I don't want to do it. And I like quit my job and moved back home and like figured out what my next steps were, which was hard at like 25 to be like, do I go back to school now? Like, yeah, I have to start over now, you know? Oh yeah. And I don't regret it for a second, but it was a hard decision to make of like, I've already started a life here. Do I continue this life here? And just accept that like lack of fulfillment is something that everyone has. Like you don't have to love your job. You can just go in and clock in and do it. Or do I like go after the thing that I want? And what I came back to was like, I want to be in that diorama that I made when I was seven. Like I want to sit in that like clay chair in that office. And like, that's what I want to do, you know? And so I think like the more that we can connect into the version of us, that existed before we were influenced by other people, like that's where we want to start, you know? And so I'm always really, really curious about like what my clients were up to when they were kids, like what their activities were. Did they play sports? Like what did they do with their friends? What were like the TV shows that they liked or the music that they listened to or, you know, whatever it is. And it's often not like, oh, I wanted to be an astronaut. Well, then you should have like been an astronaut. But it's like, I wanted to be an astronaut because I was super curious about planets and whatever. Well, what was interesting to you about that? And then we land on something like completely unrelated, but that started there. You know, it's yeah. like, well, then how did you wind up in the job that you're in now? Oh, well, my dad was this, or my mom was this, or my uncle or whoever, you know what I mean? Like, or my parents worked 10 jobs to like provide for us. So I knew that I had to work a job that made a lot of money so that I could, I wouldn't have to do what they did. Mm. yeah man uh, oh that just <laughs> hit me so hard. I, so many things that I just so many things I hit a huge wall when I was 25 totally miserable with my day-to-day changed a lot of shit I had a lot of digestive issues when I was in my t- uh, teenage years um that I think was really related to anxiety and stress but yeah. what you just said about what were you doing as a kid as a kid, I created cartoon characters. That's like all I did. Oh. I drew and I drew and I drew. And I liked creating cartoon characters and I liked pretending that I was a teacher. Those were the, my, my two go-tos, right? Yeah. My very first business that I launched, I became a cartoonist and I started getting paid to create penis cartoons, mind you. But it was still, <laughs> I was getting paid to create cartoons. And I was like, oh my God, I did this as a kid and I loved yeah. it. And I started and I left my corporate soul crushing day job to paint penis cartoons and it fucking worked. And I was like, oh, yeah. my God, I should have listened to myself at, you know, seven years old like you. Yeah. And then um, now that that kind of grew into a consultancy. And now I basically teach for a living. And mm-hmm. so when you said that, I was like, what did I like as a kid? It was those two things yeah. that I actually had to unlearn all the things that were maybe expected of me or uh-huh. wanted of me. And I went back to basics of, yeah, I want to be creative and I want to guide people. Yeah. 
Yeah. That was it. That was all I liked. And yeah. and it's so, I just think we can learn so much from our younger selves because yeah. we're so pure and we're not tainted by other people's bullshit too much yet. But then there's a point in time where that really shifts. There's um, a point in time where it becomes really important to us to be accepted by others. And I think when we think about like, who is the most important person that we want to be accepted by, it's oftentimes your caretakers, whether that is your parents, grandparents, whoever it is. It's like these adults in your life that you see as like the bar and you want to meet or exceed their bar. And what is the reality of that is that the only bar that matters is your own. Yeah. Like that's, what's <laughs> going to cause like happiness and fulfillment for you. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think it's so incredible to hear that you both made that choice at 25, because I do think that is one of the hardest ages yeah. for people to go, okay, I'm going to have the courage to do a complete 180. Yeah. Because I think at 25, a lot of people find themselves in a job where there is some level of security. Yeah. And they kind of ask themselves like, am I being a little bitch about this? Like, yeah. can I just accept that this is good enough? Like, And a lot of people have a really hard time walking away from maybe financial security, job security, whatever it is. Health insurance. Health insurance. Mm -hmm. And maybe sacrificing that for living um, like a less comfortable life, maybe for a period of time before they get more secure in in doing what they really love. But um, I made... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just say there's a lot of privilege in being able to just like walk away from your job. Like, and I recognize that. And so I like, I want to like acknowledge that and also say like, in my experience, like I still worked full time in a job that I fucking hated, like yeah. while I was like in school and whatever. So there is a piece of it where it's like, when you decide to honor that part of yourself, you also have to like zoom out and look like, how do I make this work? You know, yeah. like I quit my job and then I went and I worked like for a family business and I like you know, I'm super grateful and like that I had that opportunity and like, I still had to pay my bills. Yeah. You know, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, and so I think that there is like this piece of it where it's not always like rainbows and butterflies, like <laughs> I found my dream job at 25, you know, yeah. but like this piece of like, you know, and I think it was like, we had a similar experience of like, I am, this is going to be the end of me. Like if I stay in the position that I'm in, in now, like I will be so wildly unhappy that it won't matter how much money I'm making. So how do I find a way out of this? Right. You know, and in finding the way out of this, it's like, how do I find my way out of this and into something that will feel fulfilling, even if it's drawing penis cartoons? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, you know, and for me, it was like, it was working for my dad's business. And honestly, like being a caretaker, like my dad was very sick at the time. And so a lot of my job was like, you know, dealing with stuff at work when he couldn't be there and then taking him to doctor's appointments. Yeah. And like, that was the reality of my life. And then I would go to school, like in the times that I wasn't there. And so it wasn't like, it wasn't easy by any stretch of the imagination, but it was also necessary. Yeah. Because what I was doing, like I was like a shell of who I wanted to be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because life is short, but it is, it can also be long and people think when they're 25 that it's too old. Yeah. (laughs) to go back to school to make that major life change when in the reality it's like if you keep going on the path that you're unhappy with then you might be in that job for like the next 30 years unhappy and that is a long time to do something that you don't actually want to do so in that perspective 25 is so young to make the switch but 
yeah, I really applaud you guys because I think it's it's a lot harder to do it at that age than like I made this switch when I was 20. I did it in college. I thought I was going to be a high school math teacher because I wanted just a very secure, safe yeah. career path. Was too afraid to pursue what I really wanted. And then, uh, yeah, I just hit that wall where I was like, this is not what I'm supposed to do. I'm so unhappy and started pursuing comedy. And, um, and you're right. I had uh, several years of having to work day jobs that were soul crushing, unfulfilling, so I could support myself financially while I did shows yeah. at night. And then I think it was maybe six years into comedy that I was able to start doing it full time. And now this is year 13 and I could not feel more fulfilled in my career. I feel so happy with it every day and so lucky to get to do what I do. Um, but I think it's easier when you're in college because there's more of that attitude of like, well, I can, I can switch my major. It was still very scary for me. I was like, what the fuck am I doing to like yeah. flip this 180? But I just, I, I think what you guys did once you've like established a life, it, that's potentially harder than switching in college. I don't know. So I don't think I would have been ready to do it when I was younger, but I also like, and I don't know if this was your experience. Like it felt less scary because I was like, oh, I'm just going to do this. Like, and I know that I can do this. Like oh. I know that I can do hard things and mm. I know that I can like, it's going to be okay. Like, I'm going to figure this out because I've figured out harder things in the past. Where I think if I had done it, like, for me personally, if I had done it at 20, like, all of my other stuff, like, my anxiety was too bad at 20. Like, (laughs) my toxic relationships were too many at 20. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Um, Yeah. My, like, my desire to, like, fuck around was too much at 20, you know? Right. Where I think at, like, you know, hitting 25 like something shifted for me then where I was like oh I need to figure out what like real life looks like now and now I'm ready to do it mm. yeah, yeah I had to like balance uh I was so scared to make that movie though I was so miserable so I just juggled both for as long as I could and then I like yeah. oh I can't I have to leave but I think it was the point I got so uncomfortable and so miserable that I was like nothing is going to be more uncomfortable than this is every day I, if, even if I got to, if I got to be on somebody's couch for a couple years and, you know, figure it out and only eat, you know, beans for dinner, I would rather do that than to come back this to this fucking place every day. And I think that's what gave me the courage is just hitting a wall of misery, to be honest, you know, like, (laughs) like, I don't know if I wasn't very confident in myself. I, I still can't believe it all worked, but it was that wall that I think is so personal. Like you have to hit that own wall for yourself, whether it's being unhappy or or, you know, something else happens to kind of shift your trajectory. But it's like, yeah, if you haven't hit it, it's hard to explain it to other people why you're mm-hmm. doing what you're doing. Because people are like, yeah. you're leaving your secure corporate entertainment job and your benefits to paint penises. Okay, <laughs> best of luck, dude. You know, like, yeah. like I was nuts, um, yeah. pun intended. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it, um, it was a very strange uh, transition for sure. But you know, when you think of like, okay, a few years of figuring it out in the long run, um, so worth it. Like you said, Kelsey, you could work somewhere for 50 years that you hate. Have you seen a lot of people make like 180s in their life once they start healing their trauma? Like somebody comes into you, like, I've never wanted to have kids. I don't want them and all that. And then you start unpacking. You're like, oh, this is why you're afraid to have kids. It's not maybe actually it's coming from your, your past. Like, can you share anything like that that's happened? Yeah. I mean, I think kids is a big one. Like a lot of times I'll work with couples who come in and they're like, you know, we're unsure if we want to have kids. We want to explore that. 
And a lot of time that connects into like a very deep, like visceral fear um, that extends into like their own childhood, generational things. But it could be as simple as like a job, a place to live, you know, a big move. I think anytime. So to me, like anxiety is not necessarily a bad emotion. Like anxiety is super protective. And anxiety like often stems from a place of feeling like you need to protect yourself, right? Whether that is a real or perceived fear, doesn't matter. But we experience anxiety as a protective emotion. And a lot of times like the work is in letting the anxiety know, like, I don't need you to protect me in the same way anymore. Mm -hmm. So I can be open to these other things. So yeah, I think like when we start doing the healing work, we start to see more capacity to consider things that were completely off the table at one point. Yeah. So fascinating. God, it's so interesting. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes it also just like solidifies that like, oh yeah, no, I definitely don't want to have kids. Like it's not right. the anxiety. I just don't want to have kids, you know? For sure. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'd love to be a fly on the wall in your sessions. I know that that would be a big HIPAA <laughs> violation, but I <laughs> be a little fucked up, but I just, I mean, I think like one person's generational trauma going into whether or not they want to have kids let alone a couple's like pulling from both sides of that. Yeah. I, um, I, I have made the decision to not have kids, but the thought of that was always very daunting to me of like, Oh my God, how can two people who come from completely different childhoods and childhood traumas come together and agree on how to raise a child? I, I feel like that has to be one of the biggest hurdles that a couple goes through is, is parenting together. Yeah. I think like in the times when I've worked with couples, you know, prior to them deciding to take that step in their relationship, like that's a big conversation we have is like, what, okay, so what kind of parent do you want to be? And yeah. what kind of parent do you want your partner to be? And do mm. those things align? Because these are the things you guys got to figure this shit out now. Cause you know, when it's yeah. not time to figure out like when your kid's up screaming at four in the morning, <laughs> Yeah, you know? And so yeah. a lot of it's like logistical conversations and a lot of that then sends into the generational stuff. You know, what is your expect? Is your expectation that your partner get up at, for every night feeding? And is that because that's your expectation? Or is that because that's what you saw your parents do? Right. You know, is there a way to shift that narrative? Because maybe that doesn't work for your partner. Like my mom was the primary parent growing up, but my mom also didn't work. Like, and that was the expectation of our household is that like my dad would work and my mom would be the caretaker. Yeah. And that was a role that they willingly, each of them took. I know for myself, like if I had to be a stay at home parent, I would be absolutely miserable. Yeah. Like it wouldn't work for me, you know? And so that was a conversation that my husband and I had to have. I'm like, what does this look like for us? You know, how do we divide up the labor? Yeah. You know, we both love our kids and we both don't want to be around them 24 seven. Like that's the reality <laughs> of it. You know, they're amazing. Yeah. And they're also a lot. And like, we value our own time as well. And we value our time together. Yeah. And so, but these are all like the conversations that a lot of people don't think of having before, like entering that space or really entering any space, like a committed relationship, having kids, buying a house, moving somewhere, like the conversation around expectations and maybe why you have those expectations is really important. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. My gosh, I, I could talk to you for eight. Yeah, I have loved <laughs> this conversation so much, man. The Thank you so much so for coming people. on. Yeah, of yeah. course. Thanks for having me. Oh my God. Where can people find you? And then any kind of final, you know, words of wisdom you want to leave people with? <laughs> Go to therapy. <laughs> therapy is <Yes>. fun. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I'm on Instagram at Dr. Sahar Martinez. Uh, if you want information about my work, it's on my website, saharmartinez.com. 
And I uh, own a group practice called the Process Wellness Collective, and we serve clients in California. Amazing. So cool. Oh, thank you seriously so much for being here today. I learned. Thanks for having me. So many things. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Good Lord. It's not uh, every day that we have a guest on where like, as soon as we're done recording, I'm like, I would like to continue to like, see this person in a consistent, like, I want to keep using their services. Yeah, I know. This was such, we, it just, we covered so many different things that I didn't think were related to generational trauma. Yeah. I, I don't know. It just really, it really just surprised me. And, um, was it's just so relevant to literally everybody. It's yeah. something that we all have in common is we all experience these things and carry things <laughs> with us from our past or do things and we don't really know why we do them. But as we start to do some digging, we figure it out. Just it's fascinating how the mind and the body works. And like Sahar said, like, you know, your body doesn't forget anything and it's going to force you to listen to it. And I, I yeah. mean, yeah, just, just, oh man. It was just good for the soul, that episode. <laughs> it was. I feel like the theme of talking to her was the idea of it. it's not this or that. It's this and that. Yeah. That you can have trauma and heal it. That you can um, have kids and have boundaries with them. And just a, a lot of like non-black or white thinking. And yeah. I just really like that. It's such a nice approach to everything. Absolutely. And we also have an iTunes review of the episode. This is from Cats on a Roof. And it says, (laughs) great content, really interesting guests they have on. I wish the host talked a bit more about themselves throughout the conversations, insightful and educational topics. Wow, that's actually quite sweet. You want to hear more about us? (laughs) Yeah. You know what's funny? So I had taken a peek at the iTunes review of this episode before we started this episode today. And I was just like, God, that's such a nice review. And it's we when we're recording the podcast we never really know like if you guys want just a straight up interview if because I think we've also gotten reviews where it's like oh my god they're just going on about nothing (laughs) or whatever (laughs) and I think we've gotten self-conscious over the years of not uh being too rambly or I don't know and so I actually had that review in mind today in this interview and was like okay yeah like let's try to it's not that I don't want to necessarily open up on other episodes, but I just try to be right. more mindful of like, how can we talk about ourselves in addition to having this interview? So thank you for totally. that review. Cause I think it really did impact actually how we uh, did the interview today. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's really beneficial to know that information. Cause I think I get into a, a mindset where when we have a guest on, I want to make it all about the guest. I don't, I don't want to talk about me. Cause I, I feel like, um, is it kind of, not rude, but is it like, well, we invited this person on and then I'm just going to talk about myself a lot. Like, you know what I mean? It's yes. kind of like that. I, I battle with myself of like, well, I don't know how much to share when we're interviewing a guest. Yes. Um, and so this is just, yeah, it's really interesting, but cats on a roof. If you are interested <laughs> in learning more about, you know, uh, Kelsey and I, our backgrounds and stories in different ways, any episode where it's just me and Kelsey, or it's just Kelsey, or it's just me, we tend to go a lot deeper into mm-hmm. our, you know, our lives. Um, so you might want to check out episodes like that. And then anytime that we have a guest on, it's going to be a combination, you know? Yeah. And also, if you are not part of the Patreon community, uh, there oh, are, God. <laughs> <laughs> and you want to deep dive into us, boy, 
There are, is it 60 plus episodes or is it 60 65, episodes? 65. 65 episodes. Bonus episodes. Like yeah, on our Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash self-helpless and just binge to your heart's content. Um, yeah. It's a great community. So uh, Delaney. Yes. What segment do you have? I have a good shit uh, segment for this week. And um, my my big moment is I bought hairspray for the first time in my life <laughs> i am 32 years old and um i recently chopped all my hair off and so because my hair is so short now i feel like okay it's pretty easy it's low maintenance i don't have much of an excuse not to do much with it and also it's too short to like put in a ponytail most of the time oh, so it's okay. forced myself to look i've had to learn how to like style hair at 32 and so yeah. i bought my first mousse ever I bought my first hairspray. I had to like Google what, uh, what do you do th th with these? Like is what's for mousse <laughs> and what's, what's for hairspray and do you use them together? I didn't know this shit. I, I don't oh use this stuff. And so I had to do a lot of research. Um, but yeah, I, I, so I got myself some product. I bought myself some little like accessories. I got a couple little headbands and little, like, I don't know what they're called. Little headband scarves, things. So okay. you're going to see some interesting uh, dudes coming up if you're hey. tuning on YouTube. Um, but yeah, it's been interesting because I just, it's never been something that I've taken time to do. Yeah. Um, and wow, hairspray is truly incredible because what you're looking at right <laughs> now, Kels, this is from three days ago. This is from three days ago. I've slept in it. Yes, I haven't washed my hair in three days. You've caught me. Um, but yeah, no, that's good to a... not. Yeah, it's good to yeah. not wash your hair frequently. I yeah. cannot believe that it stayed that long. I slept in this. I rolled out of bed, and this was because I put hairspray in my hair. This was what it was. So I'm a, I'm a believer, baby. Now, holy shit! Yeah. I'm linked to the game with hairspray. Man, wow. Yeah, it made such a difference. Yeah, it really, it really does. So yeah, that's that's my good shit. I used to just, you know. I'll, I don't really do much with my hair, as many of you who have been tuning in for a while know. <laughs> <laughs> the recurring theme of the podcast. Yes. <laughs> well, this will come as no shock to any of our listeners, but I'm very proud of you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I figured. I figured, oh, yeah, Kelsey will, will approve this uh, this upgrade of my life. Yes. Yes. I, I very much approve. <laughs> what so do you got? I have a good shit as well. I had such a fun last week. You guys know we often record these episodes a couple of months before they actually come out to give time um, to our amazing editor to go through them. And uh, But our amazing Taylor Tomlinson was in town, and I got to do a couple guest spots for her uh, on her theater oh shows. And then I went and went to Raleigh that weekend and had uh, my second tour stop of this year and it just like the combination of all of those shows was so fun taylor's theater shows were all she had like four sold out shows with 2500 people at each show Jesus. and what what a rush it's it's yeah. such a cool thing to perform in front of that many people and it was just also such like a a proud moment to see her like crushing life and yeah just like to sell 10,000 tickets in a city right. is a massive accomplishment right. and it was great to just be able to like hang out during the day and share the stage together at night because we don't really get to do that very often anymore you know we yeah. don't live in the same place 
uh, even getting to see each other just to hang out doesn't get to happen that often. And so to do both of those things in the same week to get to spend time together and perform together was such a treat. So thank you, Tay, for um, asking me to come do those spots and just such a blast. Yeah, please go see Taylor on tour. It's such an incredible show. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it was a really fun week. So Um, all right, guys. Well, Minneapolis this weekend, KelseyCook.com for those tickets. I can't wait to see you guys. Hell yeah. DelaneyFisher.com for uh, the Minimalist Business Podcast and some other free shit over there. Come on over. Yay. All right. (laughs) Bye, guys. We love you. Have a great week. Thank you so much for listening to the Self Helpless Podcast. You can find our Patreon community, merch, and our individual work at selfhelplesspodcast.com. We'd be thrilled if you shared this episode with a friend or feel free to post it on Instagram and tag at selfhelplesspodcast so we can repost you and say thank you. Yeah, yeah.